When I was a child, not much older than you are now, a boy from my village disappeared. The grown-ups tried to tell us that it was nothing to worry about, that the boy was probably fine, that he probably just ran away to the city, or that maybe he fell in love and met a girl and they'd run off together to start a new life, get married or have kids. I remember that was the first time I heard the word eloped, but at that time, I thought it sounded really naughty and rude. I also remember that despite what the grown-ups said, we didn't believe them. But the boy, if you can call a 16-year-old a boy, ran away was what the grown-ups said, but as you probably know, sometimes grown-ups are wrong and sometimes they lie. We already knew better. We knew he hadn't run away, that he didn't fall in love or pack his suitcase and decide to hit the road. Whatever the grown-ups said, we knew what really happened. The boy hadn't disappeared because old ragbag got him. The boy's name was Michael Feely. He was a lot older than me and to be honest, I didn't like him very much. He was big, clumsy and stupid. Not only that, but he was also the worst kind of bully. When he was younger, he terrorized my middle school. If he wasn't calling someone names, he was pulling their hair or flicking boogers at them or beating them up and demanding they hand over their pocket money. As he got older, he got worse and more dangerous, stealing from shops as well as other kids, stealing their bikes and regularly beating people, sometimes so bad that they had to miss school. When he finally left school at 16, every kid in the lower years groups breathed a sigh of relief only to have that relief stubbed out when they came from class on the first day back to find Greeley standing at the school gates, still hanging around and still looking to steal money and make trouble. At the time that Michael left the school, I was 11 years old and hated him for most of those 11 years. Not only did I hate Michael Feely, but I was afraid of him too though not nearly as afraid as I was of old Ragbag. Ragbag, I should tell you, was not a playground bully or juvenile delinquent who terrorized other teenagers. Ragbag was a scarecrow, a hideous, tattered old thing the size of a full-grown man. Years ago, my dad once told me Ragbag's face was made of an old brown paper sack that in his day, that had been scary enough. When I was a kid, however, it was far worse. Mr. Ackerley, the farmer who owned the field where old ragbags stood guard, was the meanest, grumpiest old man I'd ever met. He hated kids with a passion. If you were stupid enough to let your football fly into his field, you would never get it back. Instead, Mr. Ackerley would take great pleasure in sticking his pitchfork right through it, popping and bursting it right in front of you, no matter how much you cried and begged for him not to. Once he had burst them, Mr. Ackley would pick up the popped leather balls and carry them back to him to the farm. We never knew what he did with them or why he kept them rather than just simply flinging the deflated things back at us. But one day, when I was around nine, we found out. Over the years, Mr. Ackley had collected dozens of these burst footballs and one night, for whatever reason, he decided to stitch pieces of them together to make a face which he then stretched over the balls of sacking and straw that made up Ragbag's head. The Scarecrow's new face was hideous. The eyes, if you could call them that, were just empty holes so horribly black that they seemed to go on forever. 
His mouth, which Mr. Ackerley had left to hang wide open, was a frayed tear that ran from one cheek to the other. It yawned open in slack, heavy smile, into which Ackerley had roughly cut a lopsided bunch of jagged triangular teeth. The cheeks fell in deep hollows, as if the mouth was actively sucking them in, and the chin and throat hung and bowed below in the slack, hammock-like flop, attached to the neck and chest by a spray of carelessly, badly fitted stitches. Because the face was made up of several balls rather than one, the features were crisscrossed with jagged networks of these stitchings, though Ackerley had cleverly chosen not to use the more colorful balls, instead selecting patches of worn grayish white. Now and again, because the head itself was little more than strong flax, rotting within, as it became damp with rain and dew, the inside would become infested. Then flies, beetles, and other insects would emerge, wriggling and scurrying from the eyes, while slugs would slither in slippery trails out from beneath the lips and up the arcs across the swollen cheeks. The overall impression was horrifying. Now at first you might think, a scarecrow? What's so scary about that? And maybe you'd be right. In the daylight, it might have been quite easy to walk past old Ragbag, to look at him standing there, rooted in his field, and think, what is there to be scared of? But at night, or at dusk, just as the sun begins to fade and dip below the horizon, then things were different. Then, even the trees at the edge of the field seemed to huddle in close to each other. The shadows grow long as the birds cease to wail and caw, as Ragbag's tattered face would seem, in the fading light, to smile. That's when the noises would start. If you were a child living in Moulton at this time, then you knew about these noises. While you might not have heard them yourself, we all had a friend of a friend, a neighbor or an aunt who would talk about the time when they were alone on the road by Ackerley's field and would hear the low, howling moans coming from the center of the field. Moans that were more sounds than words, mumblings of ancient pains that echoed across the fields. I never heard these sounds myself because I would have never dared be close to that field after dark, but I heard them in my dreams often enough. To say that every child in Moulton was scared of old Ragbag would probably be an overstatement. I'm sure that there were some who were not, but I didn't know them. Every child I knew was petrified of the old scarecrow, all but Michael Feely. I remember the day he announced it, standing by the school gates he had no business being close to, wearing his trademark green combat pants and denim jacket still stained with blood from the nose of the boy he'd punched the day before. He waited until a steady stream of the younger kins were out through the gates and then broadcast in as loud a voice as he could that he wasn't afraid of the old scarecrow and that for Halloween this year he was going to trick or treat wearing Ragbag's face as a mask. I remember this in utter disbelief. Part of me wanted to sprint as I usually did past Michael on my way out, but the other half wanted to wait to hear what he had to say. Tomorrow night, he announced to a growing crowd of younger kids. Tomorrow night, I'm going to break into Ackerley's field, rip the head off that old stupid scarecrow and steal the face. 
I'll take it home, clean it up. And when I come knocking on your doors Halloween night, that's what I'm going to be wearing. We didn't believe him, but days later, it turned out to be true. Walking hurriedly past the field where old ragbag stood, my friends and I joined the crowd of onlookers in stunned belief as we looked at the scattered remains of the scarecrow, now missing its head. I had to hand it to Michael, even though I hated him, that must have taken some bravery. That Halloween night, I sat with my eyes glued to the front door, waiting for the knock. For Michael and his gang of cronies to come trick-or-treating and for him to stand there triumphantly, wearing the torn leather mask that had once been the face of Ragbag. I wondered a few times whether in fact it might even look worse on Michael, whether knowing who is wearing it would combine two of my childhood whores into something even more terrifying. As it turned out, I never got the chance to know. Michael never came. The next day, a few girls I didn't know very well said that Michael had come to their door and that he'd been wearing the face. They also said that he seemed weird. They said he didn't even trick or treat, but instead kept looking behind him, over and over. One girl said that he had to ask her parents who that guy was, pointing to someone in a tatty old costume who was standing at the end of the street, but when her parents looked, there was nobody there. Another girl said that Michael had told her parents that there was a weird guy following him, but that his friends had said that he was only joking and had told him to cut it out and stop saying that because it was giving them the creeps. The following day, I spoke to one of Michael's friends, a weaselly little imp named Craig, who I actually hated for his closeness to Michael. When I approached him, I noticed immediately that he looked sick, as if he as if he hadn't slept for days. He told me that Michael had gone home early saying that he felt ill, that all the time they were out he had been paranoid and going on about some guy who was following them, even though there was clearly nobody. He also said that before he went home, Michael asked him a weird question. He started getting all weird, Craig said. Then he says, if that whole ragbag thing was real, if it really is like a monster or a demon or whatever, and it comes for you at night, then what do you think it would do? When it got you, I mean. Like, would it eat you or tear you apart or what? I said I didn't know and that it was just a story. But he was scared. Like, really scared. You could tell. Michael left his friends and said he was heading home. That was the last time anyone ever saw of him. Whether he was reported missing, whether the police looked into his disappearance or the investigation, I don't know. I assume they must have, but us kids were just told that he ran away. The grown-ups lied to stop us getting scared. It didn't work. Especially because the day after Michael went missing, old Ragbag was back in his field. The loathed leather face back on the head and that strange crooked smile were back where it belonged. That was when we knew what happened to Michael. Nobody ever spoke about it again. Never to each other, especially not to the grown-ups. But we all knew. Not just because Ragbag came back the day after he disappeared, or because Michael had suddenly become so scared. We knew that Ragbag got him. Because when the Scarecrow returned, it was wearing Michael's clothes.